With that, the keeper of the gate did marvel, saying, What, is she now become a pilgrim, that but a while ago abhorred that life? Then she bowed her head and said, Yes, and so are these my sweet babes also. Then he took her by the hand and let her in, and said also, Suffer the little children to come unto me. And with that he shut up the gate. This done, he called to a trumpeter that was above, over the gate, to entertain Christiana with shouting and sound of trumpet for joy. So he obeyed and sounded, and filled the air with his melodious notes. Now all this while poor Mercy did stand without, trembling and crying, for fear that she was rejected. But when Christiana had got admittance for herself and her boys, then she began to make intercession for Mercy. And she said, My Lord, I have a companion of mine that stands yet without, that is come hither upon the same account as myself, one that is much dejected in her mind, for that she comes, as she thinks, without sending for whereas I was sent to by my husband's king to come. Delays make the hungry soul more fervent. Now Mercy began to be very impatient, for each minute was as long to her as an hour. Wherefore she prevented Christiana from a fuller interceding for her by knocking at the gate herself. And she knocked then so loud that she made Christiana to start. Then said the keeper at the gate, Who is there? And said Christiana, It is my friend. So he opened the gate and looked out. But Mercy was fallen down without in a swoon, for she fainted, and was afraid that no gate would be opened to her. Then he took her by the hand and said, Damsel, I bid thee arise. O sir, said she, I am faint. There is scarce life left in me. But he answered that, one once said, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thy holy temple. Fear not, but stand upon thy feet, and tell me wherefore thou art come. Mercy said, I am come for that unto which I was never invited, as my friend Christiana was. Hers was from the king, and mine was but from her. Wherefore, I fear, I presume. The keeper said, Did she desire thee to come with her to this place? Yes, said Mercy, and as my lord sees, I am come. And if there is any grace and forgiveness of sins to spare, I beseech that I, thy poor handmaiden, may be partaker thereof. Then he took her again by the hand, and led her gently in, and said, I pray for all them that believe on me, by what means soever they come unto me. Then said he to those that stood by, Fetch something, and give it to mercy to smell on, thereby to stay her fainting. So they fetched her a bundle of myrrh, and a while after she was revived. And now was Christiana and her boys and mercy received of the Lord at the head of the way, and spoke kindly unto by him. Then said they yet further unto him, We are sorry for our sins, and beg of our Lord his pardon, and further information what we must do. I grant pardon, said he, by word and deed, by word in the promise of forgiveness, by deed in the way I obtained it. Take the first from my lips with a kiss, and the other as it shall be revealed. Christ crucified seen afar off. Now I saw in my dream that he spake many good words unto them, whereby they were greatly gladdened. He also had them up to the top of the gate, and showed them by what deed they were saved, and told them withal that that sight they would have again as they went along the way to their comfort. So he left them a while in a summer parlor below, where they entered into a talk by themselves, 
and thus Christiana began, O Lord, how glad am I that we are gotten hither. And Mercy said, So you may well be, but I of all have cause to leap for joy. Christiana said, I thought one time as I stood at the gate, because I knocked and none did answer, that all our labor had been lost, especially when that ugly dog made such a heavy barking against us. But my worst fear, said Mercy, was after I saw that you were taken into his favor and that I was left behind. Now thought I, it is fulfilled which is written, Two women shall be grinding at the mill, and one shall be taken, and the other left. I had much ado to forbear crying out, Undone, undone, and afraid I was to knock any more. But when I looked up to what was written over the gate, I took courage. I also thought that I must either knock again or die, so I knocked, but I cannot tell how, for my spirit now struggled betwixt life and death. Can you not tell how you knocked? asked Christiana. I am sure your knocks were so earnest that the very sound of them made me start. I thought I never heard such knocking in all my life. I thought you would come in by violent hands and take the kingdom by storm. Alas, said Mercy, to be my case. Who that so was could but have done so. You saw that the door was shut upon me, and that there was a most cruel dog thereabout, who, I say, that was so faint-hearted as I, would not have knocked with all their might. But pray, what said my Lord to my rudeness? Was he not angry with me? Christ pleased with loud and restless praises. Christiana said, when he heard your lumbering noise, he gave a wonderful, innocent smile. I believe what you did pleased him well enough, for he showed no sign to the contrary. But I marvel in my heart why he keeps such a dog. Had I known that afore, I should not have had heart enough to have ventured myself in this manner. But now we are in, we are in, and I am glad with all my heart. I will ask, said Mercy, if you please, next time he comes down, why he keeps such a filthy dog in his yard. I hope he will not take it amiss. I do, said the children, and persuade him to hang him, for we are afraid he will bite us when we go hence. So at last he came down to them again, and Mercy fell to the ground on her face before him, and worshipped, and said, let my Lord accept the sacrifice of praise which I now offer unto him with the calves of my lips. The devil. So he said unto her, Peace be to thee, stand up. But she continued upon her face and said, Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee. Yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Wherefore dost thou keep so cruel a dog in thy yard, at the sight of which such women and children as we are ready to fly from the gate with fear? He answered and said, That dog has another owner. He is also kept close in another man's ground. Only my pilgrims hear his barking. He belongs to the castle which you see there at a distance, but can come up to the walls of this place. He has frighted many an honest pilgrim from worse to better by the great voice of his roaring. Indeed, he that owneth him doth not keep him out of any good will to me or mine, but with intent to keep the pilgrims from coming to me, and they that may be afraid to come and knock at this gate for entrance. Sometimes also he has broken out and has worried some that I love, but I take all at present patiently. A check to the carnal fear of the pilgrims. I also give my pilgrims timely help, 
so that they are not delivered up to his power to do with them what his doggish nature would prompt him to do. But what, my purchased one, I think, hadst thou known even so much beforehand, thou wouldst not have been afraid of a dog. The beggars that go from door to door will, rather than lose a supposed alms, run the hazard of a bawling, barking, and biting too of a dog. And shall a dog in another man's yard, a dog whose barking I turn to the prophet of pilgrims, keep anyone from coming to me? I deliver them from the lions, their darling from the power of the dog. Christians, when wise enough, acquiesce in the wisdom of their Lord. Then said Mercy, I confess my ignorance. I spake what I understood not. I acknowledge that thou doest all things well. Then Christiana began to talk of their journey and to inquire after the way. So he fed them and washed their feet and set them in the way of his steps, according as he had dealt with her husband before. So I saw in my dream that they walked on their way and had the weather very comfortable to them. Then Christiana began to sing, saying, Blessed be the day that I began a pilgrim for to be, and blessed also be the man that thereto moved me. Tis true, twas long ere I began to seek to live forever, but now I run fast as I can, tis better late than never. Our tears to joy, our fears to faith, are turned as we see. This our beginning, as one saith, shows what our end will be. Now there was, on the other side of the wall that fenced in the way, up which Christiana and her companions were to go, a garden. And that garden belonged to him whose was the barking dog, of whom mention was made before. And some of the fruit trees that grew in that garden shot their branches over the wall. And being mellow, they that found them did gather them up and eat oft of them to their hurt. So Christiana's boys, as boys are apt to do, being pleased with the trees and the fruit that did hang thereon, did pick them and began to eat. Their mother did also chide them for so doing, but still the boys went on. Well, said I, my sons, you transgress, for that fruit is none of ours. But she did not know that it did belong to the enemy. I'll warrant you if she had, she would have been ready to die for fear. But that passed, and they went on their way. Now by that they were gone about two bowshots from the place that led them into the way, they espied two very ill-favored ones coming down apace to meet them. With that Christiana and Mercy, her friend, covered themselves with their veils, and so kept on their journey. The children also went on before, so that at last they met together. Then they that came down to meet them came just up to the women, as if they would embrace them. But Christiana said, Stand back, or go peaceably by, as you should. Yet these two, as men that are deaf, regarded not Christiana's words, but began to lay hands upon them. At that Christiana, waxing very wroth, spurned at them with her feet. Mercy also, as well as she could, did what she could to shift them. Christiana again said to them, Stand back and be gone, for we have no money to lose, being pilgrims, as you see, and such too as live upon the charity of our friends. Then the ill-favored one said, We make no assault upon you for money, but are come out to tell you that, if you will grant one small request which we shall ask, we will make women of you forever. Now Christiana, imagining what they should mean, made answer again, We will neither hear nor regard, nor yield to what you shall ask. We are in haste and cannot stay. Our business is a business of life or death. 
So again she and her companions made a fresh essay to go past them, but they letted them in their way. And they said, We intend no hurt to your lives. It is another thing we would have. I, said Christiana, you would have us body and soul, for I know it is for that you are come. But we will die rather on the spot than to suffer ourselves to be brought into such snares as shall hazard our well-being hereafter. And with that they both shrieked out and cried, Murder! Murder! And so put themselves under those laws that are provided for the protection of women. But the men still made their approach upon them with design to prevail against them. They therefore cried out again. It is good to cry out when we are assaulted. Now they being, as I said, not far from the gate in at which they came, their voices were heard from where they were thither. Wherefore some of the house came out, and knowing it was Christiana's tongue, they made haste to her relief. But by that they were got within sight of them, the women were in a very great scuffle. The children also stood crying by. Then did he that came in for their relief call out to the ruffians, saying, What is that thing you do? Would you make my lord's people to transgress? He also attempted to take them, but they did make their escape over the wall into the garden of the man to whom the great dog belonged. So the dog became their protector. This reliever then came up to the women and asked them how they did. So they answered, We thank thy prince pretty well, only we have been somewhat affrighted. We thank thee also for that thou camest into our help, otherwise we had been overcome. So after a few more words this reliever said as follows, I marveled much when you were entertained at the gate above, being ye knew that ye were but weak women, that you petitioned not the Lord for a conductor. Then might you have avoided these troubles and dangers, for he would have granted you one. Mark this. Alas, said Christiana, we were so taken with our present blessing that dangers to come were forgotten by us. Besides, who could have thought that, so near the king's palace, there could have lurked such naughty ones? Indeed, it had been well for us had we asked our Lord for one. But since our Lord knew it would be for our profit, I wonder he sent not along one with us. Then said the reliever, It is not always necessary to grant things not asked for, lest by so doing they become of little esteem. But when the want of a thing is felt, it then comes under, in the eyes of him that feels it, that estimate that properly is its due and so, consequently, it will be thereafter used. Had my lord granted you a conductor, you would not either have so bewailed that oversight of yours in not asking for one, as now you have occasion to do. So all things work for good, and tend to make you more wary. Shall we go back again to my lord, asked Christiana, and confess our folly, and ask one? Then said the reliever, Your confession of your folly I will present him with, to go back again you need not, for in all places where you shall come you will find no want at all, for in every one of my Lord's lodgings, which he has prepared for the reception of his pilgrims, there is sufficient to furnish them against all attempts whatsoever. But, as I said, he will be inquired of by them to do it for them. And tis a poor thing that is not worth asking for. When he had thus said, he went back to his place, and the pilgrims went on their way. Then said Mercy, What a sudden blank is here! I made account we had been past all danger, and that we should never see sorrow more. 
Thy innocence, my sister, said Christiana to Mercy, may excuse thee much. But as for me, my fault is so much the greater, for that I saw the danger before I came out of the doors, and yet did not provide for it when provision might have been had. I am therefore much to be blamed. Then said Mercy, How knew you this before you came from home? Pray, open to me this riddle. Why, I tell you, said Christiana, before I set foot out of doors, one night as I lay in my bed, I had a dream about this. For methought I saw two men, as like these as ever any in a world could look, stand at my bed's feet, plotting how they might prevent my salvation. I will tell you their very words. They said, it was when I was in my troubles, What shall we do with this woman? For she cries out waking and sleeping for forgiveness. If she be suffered to go on as she begins, we shall lose her as we have lost her husband. This, you know, might have made me to take heed and have provided when provision might have been had. Mercy makes good use of their neglect. Well, said Mercy, as by this neglect we have an occasion ministered unto us to behold our own imperfections, so our Lord has taken occasion thereby to make manifest the riches of his grace. For he, as we see, has followed us with unasked kindness and has delivered us from their hands that were stronger than we, of his mere good pleasure. Chapter 3 Thus now, when they had talked away a little more time, they drew near to a house which stood in the way, which house was built for the relief of pilgrims, as you will find more fully related in the first part of these records of the pilgrim's progress. So they drew on towards the house, the house of the interpreter, and when they came to the door, they heard a great talk in the house. Then they gave ear, and heard, as they thought, Christiana mentioned by name. For you must know that there went along, even before her, a talk of her and her children's going on pilgrimage. And this was the more pleasing to them, because they had heard she was Christiana's wife, that woman who was some time ago so unwilling to hear of going on pilgrimage. Thus, therefore, they stood still, and heard the good people within commending her, who, they little thought, stood at the door. At last Christiana knocked, as she had done at the gate before. Now when she had knocked, there came to the door a young damsel, and opened the door, and looked, and behold, two women were there. Then said the damsel to them, With whom would you speak in this place? Christiana answered, We understand that this is a privileged place for those that are become pilgrims, and we now at this door are such. Wherefore we pray that we may be partakers of that for which we at this present time are come. For the day, as thou seest, is very far spent, and we are loath tonight to go any farther. Pray, what may I call your name, asked the girl, that I may tell it to my lord within. My name is Christiana. I was the wife of that pilgrim that some years ago did travel this way, and these be his four children. This maiden also is my companion, and is going on pilgrimage too. Then Innocent ran in, for that was her name, and said to those within, Can you think who it is at the door? There are Christiana and her children, and her companion, all waiting for entertainment here. Then they leaped for joy and went and told their master. So he came to the door, and looking upon her he said, Art thou that Christiana, whom Christian the good man left behind him, when he betook himself to a pilgrim's life? I am that woman, said Christiana, that was so hard-hearted as to slight my husband's troubles, 
and then left him to go on his journey alone. And these are his four children. But now also I am come, for I am convinced that no way is right but this. Then said the interpreter, Then is fulfilled that which also is written of the man that said to his son, Go, work today in my vineyard. And he said to his father, I will not. But afterwards he repented and went. Then said Christiana, So be it. Amen. God make it a true saying upon me, and grant that I may be found at the last of him in peace, without spot and blameless. The interpreter said, But why standest thou thus at the door? Come in, thou daughter of Abraham. We were talking of thee but now, for tidings have come to us before how thou art become a pilgrim. Come, children, come in. Come, maiden, come in. So he had them all into the house. Old saints glad to see young ones walk in God's ways. So when they were within, they were bidden to sit down and rest them, the which, when they had done, those that attended upon the pilgrims in the house came into the room to see them. And one smiled, and another smiled, and they all smiled for joy that Christiana was become a pilgrim. They also looked upon the boys, they stroked them over the faces with the hand, in token of their kind reception of them. They also carried it lovingly to mercy, and bid them all welcome into their master's house. After a while, because supper was not ready, the interpreter took them into his significant rooms and showed them what Christian, Christiana's husband, had seen some time before. Here, therefore, they saw the man in the cage, the man and his dream, the man that cut his way through his enemies, and the picture of the biggest of them all, together with the rest of those things that were then so profitable to Christian. This done, and after those things had been somewhat digested by Christiana and her company, the interpreter takes them apart again, and has them first into a room where was a man that could look no way but downward, with a muckrake in his hand. There stood also one over his head with a celestial crown in his hand, and proffered to give him that crown for his muckrake. But the man did neither look up nor regard, but raked to himself the straws and the small sticks and the dust of the floor. Then said Christiana, I persuade myself that I know somewhat the meaning of this, for this is a figure of a man of this world. Is it not good, sir? Thou hast said right, said he, and his muckrake doth show his carnal mind. And whereas thou seest him rather give heed to rake up straws and sticks, and the dust of the floor, than to do what he says that calls to him from above with the celestial crown in his hand, it is to show that heaven is but a fable to some, and that things here are counted the only thing substantial. Now whereas it was also showed thee that the man could look no way but downwards, it is to let thee know that earthly things, when they are with power upon men's minds, quite carry their hearts away from God. Then said Christiana, O oh, deliver me from this muckrake. That prayer, said the interpreter, has lain by till it is almost rusty. Give me not riches, is scarce the prayer of one of ten thousand. Straws and sticks and dust with most are the great things now looked after. With that, Mercy and Christiana wept and said, It is, alas, too true. When the interpreter had showed them this, he had them into the very best room in the house, a very brave room it was. So he bid them look round about and see if they could find anything profitable there. Then they looked round and round, 
for there was nothing to be seen but a very great spider on the wall, and that they overlooked. Then said Mercy, Sir, I see nothing. But Christiana held her peace. But said the interpreter, Look again. She therefore looked again and said, Here is not anything but an ugly spider, who hangs by her hands upon the wall. Then said he, Is there but one spider in all this spacious room? Then the water stood in Christiana's eyes, for she was a woman quick of apprehension, and she said, Yes, my lord, there is here more than one, yea, and spiders whose venom is far more destructive than that which is in her. The interpreter then looked pleasantly upon her and said, Thou hast said the truth. This made Mercy blush and the boys to cover their faces, for they all began now to understand the riddle. Then said the interpreter again, The spider taketh hold with her hands, as you see, and is in king's palaces. And wherefore is this recorded, but to show you that, how full of the venom of sin soever you be, yet you may, by the hand of faith, lay hold of and dwell in the best room that belongs to the king's house above. I thought, said Christiana, of something of this, but I could not imagine it all. I thought that we were like spiders, and that we looked like ugly creatures, in what fine rooms soever we were, but that by this spider, this venomous and ill-favored creature, we were to learn how to act faith that came not into the mind, and yet she has taken hold with her hands, and as I see dwelleth in the best room in the house. God has made nothing in vain. Then they seemed all to be glad, but the water stood in their eyes, yet they looked one upon another, and also bowed before the interpreter. He had them then into another room, where were a hen and chickens, and bid them observe a while. So one of the chickens went to the trough to drink, and every time she drank, she lifted up her head and her eyes toward heaven. See, said he, what this little chick does, and learn of her to acknowledge whence your mercies come, by receiving them with looking up. Yet again, said he, observe and look. So they gave heed and perceived that the hen did walk in a fourfold method towards her chicken. First, she had a common call, and that she hath all day long. Secondly, she had a special call, and that she had but sometimes. Thirdly, she had a brooding note, and fourthly, she had an outcry. Now, said he, compare this hen to your king, and these chickens to his obedient ones. For answerable to her, he himself hath his methods which he walketh in toward his people. By his common call he gives nothing. By his special call he always has something to give. He also has a brooding voice for them that are under his wing, and he hath an outcry to give the alarm when he seeth the enemy come. I choose, my darlings, to lead you into the room where such things are, because you are women, and they are easy for you. Answer, said Christiana, pray, let us see some more. So he had them then into the slaughterhouse, where the butcher was killing a sheep. And behold, the sheep was quiet, and took her death patiently. Then said the interpreter, You must learn of this sheep to suffer, and put up with wrongs without murmurings and complaints. Behold how quietly she takes her death, and without objecting she suffers her skin to be pulled over her ears. Your king does call you his sheep. After this he led them into his garden, where was great variety of flowers, and said, Do you see all of these? So Christiana said, Yes. 
Then said he again, Behold, the flowers are diverse in stature, in quality, and color, and smell, and virtue, and some are better than some. Also, where the gardener has set them, there they stand, and quarrel not one with another. Again he had them into his field, where he had sowed with wheat and corn. But when they beheld, the tops of all were cut off, and only the straw remained. He said again, This ground was dunged and plowed and sowed, but what shall we do with the crop? Then said Christiana, Burn some, and make muck of the rest. Then said the interpreter again, Fruit, you see, is that thing you look for, and for want of that you condemn it to the fire, and to be trodden under foot of men. Beware that in this you condemn not yourselves. Then as they were coming in from abroad, they espied a little robin with a great spider in his mouth. So the interpreter said, Look here. So they looked, and Mercy wondered. But Christiana said, What a disparagement is it to such a pretty little bird as a robin redbreast is, he being also a bird above many that loveth to maintain a kind of sociableness with man. I had thought that they had lived upon crumbs of bread or upon other such harmless matter. I like him worse than I did. The interpreter then replied, This robin is an emblem very apt to set forth some professors by. For to sight they are as this robin, pretty of color, note, and carriage. They seem also to have a very great love for professors that are sincere, and above all other to desire to associate with them, and to be in their company as if they could live upon the good man's crumbs. They pretend also that therefore it is that they frequent the house of the godly and the appointments of the Lord. But when they are by themselves, as the robin, they can catch and gobble up spiders. They can change their diet, drink iniquity, and swallow down sin like water. Pray, and you will get at that which yet lies unrevealed. <clears throat> so when they were come again into the house, because supper was yet not ready, Christiana again desired that the interpreter would either show or tell of some other things that were profitable. Then the interpreter began and said, The fatter the sow is, the more she desires the mire. The fatter the ox is, the more gainsomely he goes to the slaughter. And the more healthy the lusty man is, the more prone he is unto evil. There is a desire in women to go neat and fine, and it is a comely thing to be adorned with that which in God's sight is of great price. Tis easier watching a night or two than to set up a whole year together. So tis easier for one to begin to profess well than to hold out as he should to the end. Every shipmaster, when in a storm, will willingly cast that overboard which is of the smallest value in the vessel. But who will throw the best out first? None but he that feareth not God. One leak will sink a ship, and one sin will destroy a sinner. He that forgets his friend is ungrateful unto him, but he that forgets his Savior is unmerciful to himself. He that lives in sin and looks for happiness hereafter is like him that soweth cockle and thinks to fill his barn with wheat or barley. If a man would live well, let him fetch his last day to him and make it always his company keeper. Whispering and change of thoughts prove that sin is in the world. If the world which God sets light by is counted a thing of that worth with man, what is heaven that God commandeth? 
if the life that is attended with so many troubles is so loath to be let go by us, what is the life above? Everybody will cry up the goodness of man, but who is there that is, as he should be, affected with the goodness of God? We seldom sit down to meet, but we eat and leave. So there are in Jesus Christ more merit and righteousness than the whole world has need of. When the interpreter had done, he takes them out into his garden again and had them to a tree, whose inside was all rotten and gone, and yet it grew and had leaves. Then said Mercy, What means this? This tree, said he, whose outside is fair and whose inside is rotten, is that to which many may be compared that are in the garden of God, who with their mouths speak high in behalf of God, but indeed will do nothing for him, whose leaves are fair, but their heart good for nothing, but to be tinder for the devil's tinderbox. Now supper was ready, the table spread, and all things set on the board. So they sat down and did eat when one had given thanks. And the interpreter did usually entertain those that lodged with him with music at meals. So the minstrels played. There was also one that did sing, and a very fine voice he had. His song was this, The Lord is only my support, and he that doth me feed. How can I then want anything, whereof I stand in need? When the song and music were ended, the interpreter asked Christiana what it was that first did move her to betake herself to a pilgrim's life. Christiana answered, First, the loss of my husband came into my mind, at which I was heartily grieved. But all that was but natural affection. Then, after that, came the troubles and pilgrimages of my husband into my mind, and also how like a churl I had carried it to him as to that. So guilt took hold of my mind, and would have drawn me into the pond, but that, opportunely, I had a dream of the well-being of my husband, and a letter sent by the king of that country where my husband dwells, to come to him. The letter and the dream together so wrought upon my mind that they forced me to this way. But you met with no opposition afore you set out of doors? asked the interpreter. Yes, a neighbor of mine, one Mrs. Timorous. She was akin to him that would have persuaded my husband to go back for fear of the lions. She all too befooled me for, as she called it, my intended desperate adventure. She also urged what she could to dishearten me from it the hardship and troubles that my husband met with in the way, but all this I got over pretty well. But a dream that I had of two ill-looked ones, that I thought did plot how to make me miscarry in my journey, that hath troubled me much, yea, it still runs in my mind, and makes me afraid of every one that I meet, lest they should meet me to do me a mischief, and turn me out of my way. Yea, I may tell my Lord, though I would not have everybody know it, that between this and the gate by which we got into the way, we were both so sorely assaulted that we were made to cry out murder, and the two that made this assault upon us were like the two that I saw in my dream. Then said the interpreter, Thy beginning is good, thy latter end shall greatly increase. So he addressed himself to Mercy and said unto her, And what moved thee to come hither, sweetheart? Then Mercy blushed and trembled, for a while continued silent. Then said he, Be not afraid, only believe, and speak thy mind. So she began and said, Truly, sir, my want of experience is that which makes me covet to be in silence. 
and that also that fills me with fears of coming short at last. I cannot tell of visions and dreams as my friend Christiana can, nor can I what it is to mourn for my refusing the counsel of those that were good relations. What is it then, dear heart, that hath prevailed with thee to do as thou hast done? asked the interpreter. Why, said Mercy, when our friend here was packing up to be gone from our town, I and another went accidentally to see her. So we knocked at the door and went in. When we were within and seeing what she was doing, we asked her what was her meaning. She said she was sent for to go to her husband, and then she up and told us how she had seen him in a dream, dwelling in a curious place among immortals, wearing a crown, playing upon a harp, eating and drinking at his prince's table, and singing praises to him for bringing him thither, etc. Now methought, while she was telling these things unto us, my heart burned within me, and I said in my heart, If this be true, I will leave my father and my mother and the land of my nativity, and will, if I may, go along with Christiana. So I asked her further of the truth of these things, and if she would let me go with her. For I saw now that there was no dwelling but with the danger of ruin any longer in our town. But yet I came away with a heavy heart, not for that I was unwilling to come away, but for that so many of my relations were left behind. And I am come with all the desire of my heart, and will go, if I may, with Christiana unto her husband and his king. The interpreter said, Thy setting out is good, for thou hast given credit to the truth. Thou art a Ruth who did, for the love she bare to Naomi and to the Lord her God, leave father and mother and the land of her nativity to come out and go with a people that she knew not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Now supper was ended and preparation was made for bed. The women were laid singly alone and the boys by themselves. Now when Mercy was in bed, she could not sleep for joy, for that now her doubts of missing at last were removed further from her than ever they were before. So she lay blessing and praising God, who had had such favor for her. In the morning they arose with the sun and prepared themselves for their departure. But the interpreter would have them tarry a while, for, said he, you must orderly go from hence. Then said he to the damsel that first opened to them, Take them and have them into the garden, to the bath, and there wash them, and make them clean from the soil which they have gathered by traveling. Then innocent the damsel took them, and had them into the garden, and brought them to the bath. So she told them that they must wash and be clean, for so her master would have the women to do that called at his house as they were going on pilgrimage. Then they went in and washed, yea, they and the boys and all, and they came out of that bath not only sweet and clean, but also much enlivened and strengthened in their joints. So when they came in, they looked fairer a great deal than when they went out to the washing. When they were returned out of the garden from the bath, the interpreter took them and looked upon them and said unto them, Fair as the moon. Then he called for the seal wherewith they used to be sealed that were washed in this bath. So the seal was brought, and he set his mark upon them, that they might be known in the places whither they were yet to go. Now the seal was the contents and sum of the Passover, which the children of Israel did eat, when they came out of the land of Egypt, 
and the mark was set between their eyes. The seal added greatly to their beauty, for it was an ornament to their faces. It also added to their gravity and made their countenances more like those of angels. True Humility Then said the interpreter again to the damsel that waited upon these women, Go into the vestry and fetch out garments for these people. So she went and fetched out white raiment and laid it down before him. So he commanded them to put it on. It was fine linen, white and clean. When the women were thus adorned, they seemed to be a terror one to the other, for that they could not see that glory each one had in herself, which they could see in each other. Now therefore they began to esteem each other better than themselves. For, You are fairer than I am, said one, and you are more comely than I am, said the other. The children also stood amazed to see into what fashion they were brought. The interpreter then called for a manservant of his, one great heart, and bid him take sword and helmet and shield, and take these my daughters, said he, and conduct them to the house called Beautiful, at which place they will rest next. So he took his weapons and went before them, and the interpreter said, Godspeed. Those also that belonged to the family sent them away with many a good wish, so they went on their way and sang, This place hath been our second stage. Here we have heard and seen those good things that from age to age to others hid have been. The dunghill raker, spider hen, the chicken too, to me have taught a lesson. Let me then conform to it be. The butcher garden and the field, the robin and his bait, also the rotten tree doth yield me argument of weight. To move me for to watch and pray, to strive to be sincere, to take my cross up day by day and serve the Lord with fear. Chapter 4 Now I saw in my dream that they went on, and Greatheart before them. So they went and came to the place where Christian's burden fell off his back and tumbled into a sepulcher. Here then they made a pause, and here also they blessed God. Now said Christiana, comes to my mind what was said to us at the gate, to wit that we should have pardon by word and deed. By word, that is, by the promise, by deed to wit, in the way it was obtained. What the promise is, of that I know something, but what it is to have pardoned by deed, or in the way that it was obtained, Mr. Greatheart, I suppose you know. Wherefore, if you please, let us hear your discourse thereof. A comment upon what was said at the gate, or a discourse of our being justified by Christ. Then said Greatheart, Pardon by the deed done is pardon obtained by someone for another that hath need thereof, not by the person pardoned, but in the way, saith another, in which I have obtained it. So then, to speak to the question more at large, the pardon that you and mercy and these boys have obtained was obtained by another, to wit, by him that let you in at the gate. And he hath obtained it in this double way, he has performed righteousness to cover you, and spilt his blood to wash you in. But if he parts with his righteousness to us, asked Christiana, what will he have for himself? He has more righteousness than you have need of, or than he needeth himself. Then asked Christiana, Pray, make that appear. With all my heart, said Greatheart, but first I must premise that he of whom we are now about to speak is one that has not his fellow. He has two natures in one person, plain to be distinguished, impossible to be divided. 
Unto each of these natures a righteousness belongs, and each righteousness is essential to that nature, so that one may as easily cause the nature to be extinct as to separate its justice or righteousness from it. Of this righteousness, therefore, we are not made partakers, so that they, or any of them, should be put upon us that we might be made just and live thereby. Besides these, there is a righteousness which this person has, as these two natures are joined in one. And this is not the righteousness of the Godhead, as distinguished from the manhood, nor the righteousness of the manhood, as distinguished from the Godhead, but a righteousness which stands in the union of both natures and may properly be called the righteousness that is essential to his being prepared of God to the capacity of the mediatory office, which he was to be entrusted with. If he parts with his first righteousness, he parts with his Godhead. If he parts with his second righteousness, he parts with the purity of his manhood. If he parts with the third, he parts with that perfection that capacitates him for the office of mediation. He has therefore another righteousness, which stands in performance or obedience to a revealed will. And that is it that he puts upon sinners, and that by which their sins are covered. Wherefore he says, As by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Then ask Christiana, But are the other righteousnesses of no use to us? Yes, said Greatheart, for though they are essential to his natures and office, and so cannot be communicated to another, yet it is by virtue of them that the righteousness that justifies is for that purpose efficacious. The righteousness of his Godhead gives virtue to his obedience. The righteousness of his manhood gives capability to his obedience to justify. And the righteousness that standeth in the union of these two natures to his office giveth authority to that righteousness to do the work for which it was ordained. So then, here is a righteousness that Christ, as God, has no need of, for he is God without it. Here is a righteousness that Christ, as man, has no need of to make him so, for he is perfect man without it. Again, there is righteousness that Christ, as God-man, has no need of, for he is perfectly so without it. Here then is a righteousness that Christ, as God and as God-man, has no need of with reference to himself, and therefore he can spare it, a justifying righteousness that he for himself wanteth not, and therefore he giveth it away. Hence it is called the gift of righteousness. This righteousness, since Christ Jesus the Lord has made himself under the law, must be given away, for the law doth not only bind him that is under it to do justly, but to use charity. Wherefore he must, or ought, by law, if he hath two coats, to give one to him that hath none. And thus, Christiana and Mercy, and the rest of you that are here, doth your pardon come by deed, or by the work of another man. Your Lord Christ is he that worked, and has given away what he hath wrought for to the next poor beggar he meets. But again, in order to pardon by deed, there must something be paid to God as a price, as well as something prepared to cover us withal. Sin has delivered us up to the just curse of a righteous law. Now from this curse we must be justified by way of redemption, a price being paid for the harms we have done. And this is by the blood of your Lord, who came and stood in your place instead, and died your death for your transgressions. Thus hath he ransomed you from your transgressions by blood, and covered your polluted and deformed souls with righteousness, 
for the sake of which God passes by you and will not hurt you when he comes to judge the world. Oh, then replied Christiana, this is brave. Now I see that there was something to be learnt by our being pardoned by word and deed. Good mercy, let us labor to keep this in mind, and my children, do you remember it also. But, sir, was not this that it made my good husband's burden fall from off his shoulders, and that made him give three leaps for joy? Yes, said Greatheart, it was the belief of this that cut off those strings that could not be cut by other means, and it was to give him proof of the virtue of this that he was suffered to carry his burden to the cross. I thought so, said Christiana, for though my heart was lightsome and joyous before, yet it is ten times more lightsome and joyous now. And I am persuaded by what I have left, though I have felt but little as yet, that if the most burdened man in the world was here, and did see and believe as I do now, it would make his heart merry and blithe. How affection to Christ is begot in the soul! Then said Greatheart, There is not only comfort and the ease of a burden brought to us by the sight and consideration of these, but an endeared affection begotten in us by it. For who can, if he doth but once think that pardon comes, not only by promise, but thus, but be affected with the way and means of his redemption, and so with the man that hath wrought it for him? True, said Christiana, methinks it makes my heart bleed to think that he should bleed for me. O thou loving one, O thou blessed one, thou deservest to have me. Thou hast bought me, thou deservest to have me all. Thou hast paid for me ten thousand times more than I am worth. No marvel that this made the water stand in my husband's eyes, and that it made him trudge so nimbly on. I am persuaded he wished me with him, but, vile wretch that I was, I let him come all alone. O mercy, that thy father and mother were here, yea, and Mrs. Timorous also. Nay, I wish now with all my heart that here was Madame Wanton too. Surely, surely their hearts would be affected, nor could the fear of the one nor the powerful lusts of the other prevail with them to go home again and refuse to become good pilgrims. To be affected with Christ and with what he has done is a special thing. Then said Greatheart, You speak now in the warmth of your affections. Will it, think you, be always thus with you? Besides, this is not communicated to everyone, nor to everyone that did see your Jesus bleed. There were that stood by and that saw the blood run from his heart to the ground, and yet were so far off this, that instead of lamenting they laughed at him, and instead of becoming his disciples, did harden their hearts against him. So that all that you have, my daughters, you have by a peculiar impression made by a divine contemplating upon what I have spoken to you. Remember that it was told you that the hen by her common call gives no meat to her chickens. This you have, therefore, by a special grace. Now I saw still in my dream that they went on till they were come to the place that simple and sloth and presumption lay and slept in when Christian went by on his pilgrimage. And behold, they were hanged up in irons a little way off the other side. Then said mercy to him that was their guide and conductor, What are those three men? And for what are they hanged there? And replied Greatheart, These three men were men of very bad qualities. They had no mind to be pilgrims themselves, and whomsoever they could they hindered. They were for sloth and folly themselves, and whomsoever they could persuade with, they made so too, and withal taught them to presume that they should do well at last. 
They were asleep when Christian went by, and now you go by, they are hanged. Then said Mercy, But could they persuade any to be of their opinion? Yes, said Greatheart, they turned several out of the way. There was slow pace that they persuaded to do as they. They also prevailed with one short wind, with one no heart, with one linger after lust, and with one sleepy head, and with a young woman, her name was Dull, to turn out of the way and become as they. Besides, they brought up an ill report of your Lord, persuading others that he was a hard taskmaster. They also brought up an evil report of the good land, saying it was not half so good as some pretended it was. They also began to vilify his servants, and to count the very best of them meddlesome, troublesome busybodies. Further, they would call the bread of God husks, the comforts of his children fancies, and the travel labor of pilgrims things to no purpose. Nay, said Christiana, if they were such, they never shall be bewailed by me. They have but what they deserve, and I think it is well that they hang so near the highway that others may see and take warning. But had it not been well if their crimes had been engraven on some plate of iron or brass and left here, where they did their mischiefs for a caution to other bad men? So it is, said Greatheart, as you well may perceive, if you go a little to the wall. No, no, said Mercy, let them hang and their names rot, and their crimes live forever against them. I think it a high favor that they were hanged afore we came hither. Who knows else what they might have done to such poor women as we are? Then she turned it into a song, saying, Now then, you three, hang there and be a sign to all that shall against the truth combine, and let him that comes after fear this end, if unto pilgrims he is not a friend. And thou, my soul, of all such men beware, that unto holiness opposers are. It is difficult getting of good doctrine in erroneous times. Thus they went on till they came at the foot of the hill's difficulty, where again their good friend Mr. Greatheart took an occasion to tell them of what happened there when Christian himself went by. So he had them first to the spring. Lo, saith he, this is the spring that Christian drank of before he went up this hill, and then it was clear and good, but now it is dirty with the feet of some that are not desirous that pilgrims here should quench their thirst. Thereat mercy said, And why so envious? But said their guide, It will do if taken up and put into a vessel that is sweet and good, for then the dirt will sink to the bottom, and the water come out by itself more clear. Thus therefore Christiana and her companions were compelled to do. They took it up and put it into an earthen pot, and so let it stand till the dirt was gone to the bottom, and then they drank thereof. Bypaths, though barred up, will not keep all from going in them. Next he showed them the two byways that were at the foot of the hill, where formalist and hypocrisy lost themselves. And said he, These are dangerous paths. Two were here cast away when Christian came by, and although, as you see, these ways are since stopped up with chains, posts, and a ditch, yet there are that that will choose to adventure here, rather than take the pains to go up this hill. The way of transgressors is hard, said Christiana. It is a wonder that they can get into those ways without danger of breaking their necks. Oh, they will venture, said Greatheart. Yea, if at any time any of the king's servants doth happen to see them, and doth call unto them, and tell them that they are in the wrong ways, and do bid them beware of the danger, then they will railingly return them answer and say, 
As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the king, we will hearken unto thee. But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth. Nay, if you look a little farther, you shall see that these ways are made cautionary enough, not only by these posts and ditch and chain, but also by being hedged up, yet they will choose to go there. They are idle, said Christiana. They love not to take pains. Uphill way is unpleasant to them. So it is fulfilled unto them as it is written. The way of the slothful man is a hedge of thorns. Yea, they will rather choose to walk upon a snare than go up this hill and the rest of this way to the city. Then they set forward and began to go up the hill, and up the hill they went. But before they got to the top, Christiana began to pant and said, I dare say this is a breathing hill. No marvel if they that love their ease more than their souls choose to themselves a smoother way. Then said Mercy, I must sit down. Also the least of the children began to cry. Come, come, said Greatheart, sit not down here, for a little above is the prince's arbor. Then took he the little boy by the hand and led him up there too. When they were come to the arbor, they were very willing to sit down, and they were all in a pelting heat. Then said Mercy, How sweet is rest to them that labor, and how good is the prince of pilgrims to provide such resting places for them. Of this arbor I have heard much, but I never saw it before. But here let us beware of sleeping, for as I have heard, for that it cost poor Christian dear. Then said Mr. Greatheart to the little ones, Come, my pretty boys, how do you do? How think you now of going on pilgrimage? Sir, said the least, I am almost beat out of heart, but I thank you for lending me a hand at my need. And I remember now what my mother has told me, namely, that the way to heaven is as up a ladder, and the way to hell is as down a hill. But I'd rather go up the ladder to life than down the hill to death. Then said Mercy, But the proverb is, To go down the hill is easy. But James said, For that was his name, The day is coming when, in my opinion, Going downhill will be the hardest of all. That's a good boy, said his master. Thou hast given her a right answer. Then Mercy smiled, But the little boy did blush. Come, said Christiana, Will you eat a bit, a little, to sweeten your mouths, While you sit here to rest your legs? For I have here a piece of pomegranate, which Mr. Interpreter put in my hand, just when I came out of his doors. He also gave me a piece of honeycomb and a little bottle of spirits. I thought he gave you something, said Mercy, because he called you aside. Yes, so he did, said the other, but Mercy, it shall still be as I said it should, when at first we came from home. Thou shalt be a sharer in all the good that I have, because thou so willingly didst become my companion." Then she gave to them, and they did eat, both Mercy and the boys. And said Christiana to Mr. Greatheart, Sir, will you do as we? But he answered, You are going on pilgrimage, and presently I shall return. Much good may what you have do to you. At home I eat the same every day. Now when they had eaten and drunk, and had chatted a little longer, their guide said to them, The day wears away. If you think good, let us prepare to be going. So they got up to go, and the little boys went before. But Christiana forgot to take her bottle of spirits with her, so she sent her little boy back to fetch it. Then said Mercy, I think this is a losing place. Here Christian lost his roll, and here Christiana left her bottle behind her. Sir, what is the cause of this? So their guide made answer and said, 
The cause is sleep or forgetfulness. Some sleep when they should keep awake, and some forget when they should remember. And this is the very cause why oft at the resting places some pilgrims in some things come off losers. Pilgrims should watch and remember what they have already received under their greatest enjoyments. But for want of doing so, oft times their rejoicing ends in tears and their sunshine in a cloud. Witness the story of Christian at this place. When they were come to the place where Mistrust and Timorous met Christian to persuade him to go back for fear of the lions, they perceived as it were a stage, and before it towards the road a broad plate with a copy of verses written thereon, and underneath the reason of the rising up of that stage in that place rendered. The verses were these, Let him that sees this stage take heed unto his heart and tongue, lest if he do not hear he speed as some have long agone. The words underneath the verses were, This stage was built to punish such upon who, through timorousness or mistrust, shall be afraid to go farther on pilgrimage. Also on this stage both mistrust and timorous were burned through the tongue with a hot iron, for endeavoring to hinder Christian in his journey. Then said Mercy, This is much like to the saying of the Beloved, What shall be given unto thee, or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? Sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. An emblem of those that go on bravely when there is no danger, but shrink when troubles come. So they went on till they came within sight of the lions. Now Mr. Greatheart was a strong man, so he was not afraid of a lion. But yet when they were come up to the place where the lions were, the boys that went before were glad to cringe behind, for they were afraid of the lions. So they stepped back and went behind. At this their guide smiled and said, How now, my boys, do you love to go before when no danger does approach, and love to come behind so soon as the lions appear? Now as they went up, Mr. Greatheart drew his sword with intent to make a way for the pilgrims in spite of the lions. Then there appeared one that it, it seems had taken upon him to back the lions. And he said to the pilgrim's guide, What is the cause of your coming hither? Now the name of that man was Grim, or Bloody Man, because of his slaying of pilgrims, and he was of the race of the giants. Then said the pilgrim's guide, These women and children are going on pilgrimage, and this is the way they must go, and go it they shall, in spite of thee and the lions. This is not their way, said Mr. Bloody Man, neither shall they go therein. I am come forth to withstand them, and to that end will back the lions. Now to say truth, by reason of the fierceness of the lions, and of the grim carriage of him that did back them, this way had of late lain much unoccupied, and was almost all grown over with grass. Then said Christiana, Though the highways have been unoccupied heretofore, and though the travelers have been made in times past to walk through bypaths, it must not be so now I am risen. Now I am risen a mother in Israel. Then he swore by the lions, but it should, and therefore bid them turn aside, for they should not have passage there. But Greatheart, their guide, made first his approach unto Bloody Man, and laid so heavily at him with his sword that he forced him to retreat. Then said he that attempted to back the lions, Will you slay me upon thine own ground? It is the king's highway that we are in, said Greatheart, and in his way it is that thou hast placed thy lions. But these women and these children, though weak, shall hold on their way in spite of thy lions. 
and with that he gave him again a downright blow and brought him upon his knees. With this blow he also broke his helmet and with the next he cut off an arm. Then did the giant roar so hideously that his voice frighted the women and yet they were glad to see him lie sprawling upon the ground. Now the lions were chained and so of themselves could do nothing. Wherefore, when old bloody man that intended to back them was dead, Mr. Greatheart said to the pilgrims, Come now and follow me, and no hurt shall happen to you from the lions. They therefore went on, but the women trembled as they passed by them. The boys also looked as if they would die, but they all got by without further hurt. Chapter 5 Now then they were within sight of the porter's lodge, and they soon came up unto it. But they made the more haste after this to go thither, because it is dangerous traveling there in the night. So when they were come to the gate, the guide knocked, and the porter cried, Who is there? But as soon as the guide had said, It is I, he knew his voice and came down, for the, for the guide had oft before come hither as a conductor of pilgrims. When he was come down, he opened the gate, and seeing the guide stand just before it, for he saw not the women, for they were behind him, he said unto him, How now, Mr. Greatheart, what is your business here so late tonight? I have brought, said he, some pilgrims hither, where, by my lord's commandment, they must be lodged. I had been here some time ago had I not been opposed by the giant that did use to back the lions. But I, after a long and tedious combat with him, have cut him off and have brought the pilgrims hither in safety. Will you not go in and stay till morning? asked the porter. No, said Greatheart, I will return to my lord tonight. Oh, sir, said Christiana, I know not how to be willing you should leave us in our pilgrimage. You have been so faithful and so loving to us. You have fought so stoutly for us. You have been so hearty in counseling of us that I shall never forget your favors towards us. Then said Mercy, Oh, that we might have thy company to our journey's end. How can such poor women as we hold out in a way so full of troubles as this way is, without a friend and defender? Then said James, the youngest of the boys, Pray, sir, be persuaded to go with us and help us, because we are so weak and the way so dangerous as it is. Help lost for want of asking for. Then said Greatheart, I am at my Lord's commandment. If he shall allot me to be your guide quite through, I will willingly wait upon you. But here you failed at first, for when he bid me come thus far with you, then you should have begged me of him to have gone quite through with you, and he would have granted your request. However, at present I must withdraw, and so good Christiana, Mercy, and my brave children, adieu. Then the porter, Mr. Watchful, asked Christiana of her country and of her kindred, and she said, I come from the city of destruction. I am a widow woman, and my husband is dead. His name was Christian, the pilgrim. How, said the porter, was he your husband? Yes, said she, and these are his children. And this, pointing to mercy, is one of my town's women. Then the porter rang his bell, as at such times he is wont, and there came to the door one of the damsels, whose name was Humble Mind. And to her the porter said, Go tell it within that Christiana, the wife of Christian, and her children are come hither on pilgrimage. She went in therefore and told it. But oh, what a noise for gladness was there within when the damsel did but drop that word out of her mouth. So they came with haste to the porter, for Christiana stood still at the door. Then some of the most grave said unto her, 
Come in, Christiana, come in, thou wife of that good man. Come in, thou blessed women, come in, and all that are with thee. Christian's love is kindled at the sight of one another. So she went in, and they followed her that were her children and her companions. Now when they were gone in, they were had into a very large room, where they were bidden to sit down. So they sat down, and the chief of the house were called to see and welcome the guests. Then they came in, and understanding who they were, did salute each other with a kiss, and say, Welcome, ye vessels of the grace of God. Welcome to us, your friends. Now because it was somewhat late, and because the pilgrims were weary with their journey, and also made faint with the sight of the fight, and of the terrible lions, therefore they desired, as soon as might be, to prepare to go to rest. Nay, said those of the family, refresh yourselves first with a morsel of meat, for they had prepared for them a lamb, with the accustomed sauce belonging thereto. For the porter had heard before of their coming, and had told it to them within. So when they had supped and ended their prayer with a psalm, they desired they might go to rest. But let us, said Christiana, if we may be so bold as to choose, be in that chamber that was my husband's when he was here. Christ's bosom is for all pilgrims. So they had them thither, and they lay all in the room. When they were at rest, Christiana and Mercy entered into discourse about things that were convenient. Christiana said, Little did I think once, when my husband went on pilgrimage, that I should ever follow after. And then Mercy said, And you as little thought of lying in his bed and in his chamber to rest as you do now. And Christiana said, And much less did I ever think of seeing his face with comfort and of worshipping the Lord the King with him. Yet now I believe I shall. Hark, said Mercy, don't you hear a noise? Yes, it is, as I believe, a noise of music, for joy that we are here. Wonderful, said Mercy, music in the house, music in the heart, and music also in heaven, for joy that we are here. Thus they talked a while, and then betook themselves to sleep. So in the morning when they were awake, Christiana said to Mercy, What was the matter that you did laugh in your sleep tonight? I suppose you were in a dream. So I was, said Mercy, and a sweet dream it was. But are you sure I laughed? Yes, you laughed heartily. But tell me, Mercy, tell me thy dream. And then Mercy said, I was dreaming that I sat all alone in a solitary place and was bemoaning of the hardness of my heart. Now I had not sat there long, but methought many were gathered about to see me and to hear what it was that I said. So they hearkened, and I went on bemoaning the hardness of my heart. At this some of them laughed at me, some called me a fool, and some thrust me about. With that methought I looked up, and saw one coming with wings towards me. So he came directly to me and said, Mercy, what aileth thee? Now when he had heard me make my complaint, he said, Peace be to thee. He also wiped mine eyes with his handkerchief, and clad me in silver and gold. He put a chain about my neck and earrings in mine ears and a beautiful crown upon my head. Then he took me by the hand and said, Mercy, come after me. So he went up and I followed till we came to a golden gate. Then he knocked, and when they within opened, the man went in, and I followed him up to a throne upon which one sat. And he said to me, Welcome, daughter. The place looked bright and twinkling like the stars, or rather like the sun, and I thought that I saw your husband there. 
So I awoke from my dream. But did I laugh? Laugh, said Christiana. I, and well you might, to see yourself so well. For you must give me leave to tell you that I believe it was a good dream, and that as you have begun to find the first part true, so you shall find the second at last. God speaks once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men, in slumberings upon the bed. We need not when abed to lie awake to talk with God. He can visit us when we sleep and cause us then to hear his voice. Our heart oftentimes wakes when we sleep and God can speak to that either by words, by proverbs or by signs and similitudes as well as if one was awake. Well, said Mercy, I am glad of my dream for I hope ere long to see it fulfilled to the making of me laugh again. Then said Christiana, I think it is now high time to rise and to know what we must do. Pray, said Mercy, if they invite us to stay a while, let us willingly accept of the proffer. I am the willinger to stay a while here to grow better acquainted with these maids. Methinks prudence, piety, and charity have very comely and sober countenances. We shall see what they will do, said Christiana. So when they were up and ready, they came down, and they asked one another of their rest, and if it was comfortable or not. Very good, said Mercy. It was one of the best night's lodging that ever I had in my life. Then said Prudence and Piety, If you will be persuaded to stay here a while, you shall have what the house will afford. Aye, and that with a very good will, said Charity. So they consented and stayed there about a month or above and became very profitable one to another. And because Prudence would see how Christiana had brought up her children, she asked leave of her to catechize them. So she gave her free consent. Then she began at the youngest, whose name was James. And she said, Come, James, canst thou tell me who made thee? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, he said. Good boy, said Prudence, and canst thou tell me who saves you? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Good boy still, said Prudence, but how doth God the Father save thee? By his grace, he said. How doth God the Son save thee, said Prudence? By his righteousness, death, and blood, and life. And then Prudence asked, And how doth God the Holy Ghost save thee? And he remarked, By his illumination, by his renovation, and by his preservation. Then said Prudence to Christiana, You are to be commended for thus bringing up your children. I suppose I need not ask the rest these questions, since the youngest of them can answer them so well. I will therefore now apply myself to the youngest next. Then she said, Come, Joseph, for his name was Joseph, will you let me catechize you? With all my heart, he said. And she asked, What is man? A reasonable creature, so made by God, as my brother said. And then Prudence asked, What is supposed by this word, saved? And he said, That man, by sin, has brought himself into a state of captivity and misery. And Prudence asked, What is supposed by his being saved by the Trinity? And Joseph answered, That sin is so great and mighty a tyrant that none can pull us out of its clutches but God, and that God is so good and loving to man as to pull him indeed out of this miserable state. And Prudence said again, What is God's design in saving of poor men? And Joseph remarked, 
the glorifying of his name, of his grace and justice, etc., and the everlasting happiness of his creatures. Who are they that must be saved, asked Prudence? Those that accept of his salvation, answered Joseph. Good boy, Joseph, thy mother hath taught thee well, and thou hast hearkened to what she has said unto thee. Then said Prudence to Samuel, who was the eldest son but one, Come, Samuel, are you willing that I should catechize you also? Yes, if you please, said Samuel. What is heaven, asked Prudence? A place and state most blessed, because God dwelleth there. And then she asked, What is hell? And he answered, A place and state most woeful, because it is the dwelling place of sin, the devil, and death. Why wouldst thou go to heaven? asked Prudence. That I may see God and serve him without weariness. That I may see Christ and love him everlastingly. That I may have that fullness of the Holy Spirit in me that I can by no means here enjoy. A very good voice, said Prudence, and one that has learned well. Then she addressed herself to the eldest, whose name was Matthew. And she said to him, Come, Matthew, shall I also catechize you? And he said, With a very good will. I asked then, said Prudence, if there was ever anything that had a being antecedent to or before God. No, said Matthew, for God is eternal, nor is there anything excepting himself that had a being until the beginning of the first day. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. And what do you think of the Bible, asked Prudence? It is the holy word of God. And then Prudence asked, Is there nothing written therein but what you understand? And Matthew said, Yes, a great deal. And then Prudence asked, What do you do when you meet with such places therein that you do not understand? I think God is wiser than I, said Matthew. I pray also that he will please to let me know all therein that he knows will be for my good. And then Prudence asked, How believe you as touching the resurrection of the dead? I believe, said Matthew, they shall rise the same that was buried, the same in nature, though not in corruption. And I believe this upon a double account. First, because God has promised it. Secondly, because he is able to perform it. Then said Prudence to the boys, You must still hearken to your mother, for she can teach you much. You must also diligently give ear to what good talk you shall hear from others. For, for your sakes, they do speak good things. Observe also, and that with carefulness, what the heavens and the earth do teach you. But especially be much in the meditation of that book that was the cause of your father's becoming a pilgrim. I, for my part, my children, will teach you what I can while you are here, and shall be glad if you will ask me questions that tend to godly edifying. Now by that these pilgrims had been at this place a week, Mercy had a visitor that pretended some goodwill unto her and his name was Mr. Brisk, a man of some breeding, and that pretended to religion, but a man that stuck very close to the world. So he came once or twice, or more, to Mercy, and offered love unto her. Now Mercy was of a fair countenance, and therefore the more alluring. Her mind also was to be always busying herself in doing, for when she had nothing to do for herself, she would be making of hoes and garments for others, and would bestow them upon them that had need. And Mr. Brisk, not knowing where or how she disposed of what she made, seemed to be greatly taken, for that he found her never idle. I will warrant her a good housewife, said he to himself. 
Mercy then revealed the business to the maidens that were of the house, and inquired of them concerning him, for they did know him better than she. So they told her that he was a very busy young man, and one who pretended to religion, but was, as they feared, a stranger to the power of that which is good. Nay then, said Mercy, I will look no more on him, for I purpose never to have a clog to my soul. Prudence then replied that there needed no great matter of discouragement to be given to him. Her continuing so, as she had begun to do for the poor, would quickly cool his courage. So the next time he comes, he finds her at her old work, a making of things for the poor. Then said he, What? Always at it? Yes, said she, either for myself or for others. And what canst thou earn in a day, said he? I do these things, said she, that I may be rich in good works, laying up in store for myself a good foundation against the time to come, that I may lay hold on eternal life. Why, tell me, what dost thou with them, said he? I clothe the naked, she said. With that his countenance fell, so he forbear to come at her again. And when he was asked the reason why, he said that Mercy was a pretty lass, but troubled with ill conditions. Mercy in the practice of mercy rejected, while mercy in the name of mercy is liked. When he had left her, Prudence said, Did I not tell thee that Mr. Brisk would soon forsake thee? Yea, he will rise up an ill report of thee, for, notwithstanding his pretense to religion, and his seeming love to mercy, yet mercy and he are of temper so different that I believe they will never come together. Then mercy said, I might have had husbands afore now, though I spake not of it to any, but they were such as did not like my conditions, though never did any of them find fault with my person. So they and I could not agree. Then said Prudence, Mercy in our days is little set by, any further than as to its name. The practice which is set forth by thy conditions, there are but few that can abide. Well, said Mercy, if nobody will have me, I will die a maid, or my conditions shall be to me as a husband. For I cannot change my nature, and to have one that lies crossed to me in this, that I purpose never to admit of as long as I live. I have a sister named Bountiful that was married to one of these churls, but he and she could never agree. But because my sister was resolved to do as she had begun, that is, to show kindness to the poor, Therefore her husband first cried her down at the cross, and then turned her out of his doors. And yet he was a professor, asked Prudence. Yes, such a one as he was, of such as he the world is now full, but I am for none of them at all. Now Matthew, the eldest son of Christiana, fell sick, and his sickness was sore upon him, for he was much pained in his bowels, so that he was with it at times, pulled as it were both ends together. The Grips of Conscience There dwelt also not far thence one Mr. Skill, an ancient and well-approved physician. So Christiana desired it, and they sent for him, and he came. When he was entered the room, and had a little observed the boy, he concluded that he was sick of the grips. Then he said to his mother, What diet has Matthew of late fed upon? Diet, said Christiana, nothing but that which is wholesome. The physician answered, this boy has been tampering with something that lies in his maw undigested, and that will not away without means. And I tell you, he must be purged, or else he will die. Then said Samuel, 
Mother, what was that which my brother did gather up and eat so soon as we were come from the gate that is at the head of this way? You know that there was an orchard on the left hand, on the other side of the wall, and some of the trees hung over the wall, and my brother did pick and did eat. True, my child, said Christiana, he did take thereof and did eat. Naughty boy as he was, I did chide him, and yet he would eat thereof. Then said Mr. Skill, I knew he had eaten something that was not wholesome food, and that food to wit, that fruit, is even the most hurtful of all. It is the fruit of Beelzebub's orchard. I do marvel that none did warn you of it. Many have died thereof. Then Christiana began to cry, and she said, O naughty boy and O careless mother, what shall I do for my son? Then Mr. Skill said, Come, do not be too much dejected. The boy may do well again, but he must purge and vomit. Pray, said Christiana, Sir, try the utmost of your skill with him, whatever it costs. Nay, I hope I shall be reasonable, said Mr. Skill. So he made him a purge, but it was too weak. It was said it was made of the blood of a goat, the ashes of an heifer, with some of the juice of a hyssop, etc. When Mr. Skill had seen that the purge was too weak, he made him one to the purpose. It was made up into pills, with a promise or two, and a proportionable quantity of salt. Now he was to take them three at a time, fasting, in half a quarter of a pint of the tears of repentance. When this potion was prepared and brought to the boy, he was loath to take it, though torn with the grips as if he should be pulled in pieces. Come, come, said the physician, you must take it. It goes against my stomach, said the boy. I must have you take it, said his mother. I shall vomit it up again, said the boy. Pray, sir, said Christiana to Mr. Skill, how does it taste? It has no ill taste, said the doctor, and with that she touched one of the pills with the tip of her tongue. Oh, Matthew, said she, this potion is sweeter than honey. If thou lovest thy mother, if thou lovest thy brothers, if you lovest mercy, if thou lovest thy life, take it. A word of God in the hand of his faith. So with much ado, after a short prayer for the blessing of God upon it, he took it, and it wrought kindly with him. It caused him to purge, it caused him to sleep and rest quietly. It put him into a fine heat and breathing sweat, and did quite rid him of his grips. So in a little time he got up and walked about with a staff, and would go from room to room, and talk with prudence, piety, and charity of his distemper, and how he was healed. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, 
T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.